Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Chris Burns. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. How about you, my friend? It's another day in paradise. It's so much fun to be part of a major historical event. Uh, oh, yes, well, <laughs> I think that, you know, it's probably like when Attila the Hun came in. Everybody was going like, I don't like this. Are those elephants coming over that mountain? Oh, wait, that was that was Hannibal. Hannibal, <laughs> Hannibal. Yeah, that would, that would give pause. That would give pause. Anyway... <laughs> This is the Playground Podcast. It is not a comedy routine. It's the Playground Podcast. We're very serious about the business of toys. I'm Chris Byrne. I'm here with my co-host, Richard Gottlieb, and we are brought to you by Global Toy News, Kid Stuff Public Relations, and The Toy Guy. And today we are continuing our series on upstarts and innovators with Mr. Alex Tong, who is the founder and CEO of Van Gogh Toys, which if you don't know yet, you certainly will because it's an up-and-coming toy company. And Alex, thank you for joining us. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Richard. So how did you get to be a 27-year-old founder and CEO? First of all, give us a little bit about how you got here. And then why did you decide in this Oh, usually risk-free business uh, <laughs> to to in so many words step off the cliff into your own company. You know, it's a long story. I started off uh, nothing to do with business at all, uh, nothing to do with toys. Um, I, I didn't see myself entering the toy industry when I was a kid or anything like that. Um, so I'm not the typical entrepreneur story who's you know selling lemonade and baseball cards and this and that. Um, I actually I started off. Uh, more oriented towards like a medical route. In college, I was going to school with that in mind, like an anesthesiologist or something like that. And during that, I was traveling half the year to compete in downhill skateboarding or longboarding. Uh, and the other half of the year, I was in school. And so I, you know, half, it took me a little longer to finish college than most. Um, but during that time, I started to learn more about business uh, through my sponsorships and self-promotion promoting my sponsors. Uh, and that sort of led me more in the direction of business than in medicine where I was originally going. And then you started into business, but how did you get into the toy industry? The toy industry was my first job out of college. Um, so I finished with my degree uh, and I got a job as an intern at Zing Toys. Okay. Uh, and I was hired, I was brought on to help launch one of their brands and run social media for them. Um, and it took a few months to get on there. Uh, I, you know, I bothered them for a few months over the course of a summer because they had this position open and I, I thought it would look like a fun position. So I kept bugging them and they, they said no. Uh, and then I bugged them some more and they said no again. And then finally they said, all right, fine, come on in. We'll, we'll interview you. We'll, we'll set you up for this. Um, and I got the position. Um, so I was on there and I worked there for several years and I, I just fell in love with the toy industry. You know, it's, it's one of those industries that, you know, you don't think you don't go to school and think, oh man, I want to work at, in the toy industry. You know, you want to work at like Google or something. Uh, but I just, you know, it's, it's one of those industries that's really fun. It's innovative. There's constantly new products to work on, which is exciting for somebody in marketing. You were an enthusiast and a competitive enthusiast. What were you professional? Starting freshman year of college, actually, we would we'd do the world tour. So I would, I would finish spring term at school and immediately hop on a plane to Australia, U.S., Europe, South America, South Africa. And by that time, I'd started fall term again. Um, and so there's a little crossover there that made school a little difficult. And are you still doing that? No, no, I haven't been doing that for quite a while. 
what is your, the passion you have for the products you create? You know, it's it's one of those things. I've been asked this before. People, you know, we're launching our first game. So they say, okay, you're a games company. I've found that the toys that we want to make are not necessarily any one category. We want to be able to make toys that we think are great toys and fun toys, regardless of the category. I don't want to be saying, I'm only going to make games. I want to make fun toys for kids. What is the mark of an Alex Tone product? I like to think that we will have a different eye on products. Maybe, you know, it might help that I'm, I'm on the younger side in the toy industry. So I think I have an eye for maybe some more innovations that might resonate well with today's uh, today's audience, today's kids. We know about TikTok. In fact, I helped launch one of Zing's brands. It's one of the first toys brands on TikTok. Uh, and we click, quickly became the most followed brand, uh, toy brand on TikTok. I don't know if that's still the case. Which was um, that? Which a, was StickBot? That was StickBot, yeah. Can you tell us that story? So actually, you know, Amy was uh, our PR rep from Freeman PR. She was the one who sent us about a uh, link to Musical.ly. Uh, and it was like, that's what TikTok was before it became TikTok. And it was a, uh, it was a lip syncing app. And I saw it and I remember thinking this, I don't know if this makes any sense for a stop motion toy with a mouth that can't move. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, a couple months later, uh, it really started to take off. And we said, you know what, like my team was into it. And I said, all right, let's, let's put some resources towards this, which create some content for it. Uh, and within a couple months, you know, our followers are skyrocketing. And I said, okay, let's, let's put more into this. Let's invest in this property. We're in it early. Uh, and that's the time to be on a new platform is you want to be on it early. You want to be an innovator on that platform. Uh, and then it made the transfer to TikTok, and our, you know, several hundred thousand followers later, we were one of the only toy brands on the platform and de- certainly the most followed. Understanding where kids are and having the insight and the, the guts to go after something like that. It's, you know, it's a risky move going after a new platform. Uh, but it can obviously pay off. I think that's one of the most interesting things about Zing and StickBot, which is that you guys didn't take a traditional approach to it. You realized you had a relatively narrow audience, but one that would buy deeply. So why not just talk directly to them? And the other thing that you did that I think was so great was you really created a community around StickBot. And I think that in today's market, that's such an important element of any kind of successful marketing. Can you talk a little bit about the, the StickBot uh, YouTube and the StickBot entertainment channel that you guys created? The whole concept of StickBot being a social media toy um, was the idea from Josh Lorzell, who um, was their VP of sales and marketing at the time. Um, he had this vision of the brand being a social brand and kids are going to share on the hashtag. And you know, that really hadn't been done in the industry much. So we created content and it started off, you know, we were making a couple like six second videos and some vines and putting them out on the channel. Uh, but we really learned how to create content for kids that was going to work on social media. And we built, you know, I think close to a million subscribers to our YouTube channel with content being released every single day. And kids were looking out for the next, the next video and they were following along these series like it was like a Nickelodeon series. Um, and so we had these this really loyal fan base who just loved the content and they would create their own content with the toy. It was a new way, I think, of reaching kids and engaging with kids, uh, especially with a product, like you said, that's it's a pretty niche product. Um, it doesn't necessarily have broad appeal, but we nailed down the target market. And, you know, luckily we went the digital route with it. So we had all the data for it as well, um, which is what I was running at the start. I was analyzing all the analytics and stuff. I'm, I'm a bit of a data nerd. Uh, so we were able to see exactly where to place spend, who to target, who was res- who the content was resonating with, and you know target different uh, customers and kids with different types of content. 
you are a child of the 21st century. As many in your generation, you intuit, I think, a lot of how media is consumed now. And so how do you look at both the traditional platform, television, ink on paper, and at the same time, look at the newer platforms? And how do you determine where you spend? It's a tough question because there's so many different channels. Um, and there's so, you know, there's, it used to be there was just TV, right? Like there's TV and print. And now there's, you know, 20 different social media apps you could advertise with. Plus there's TV. And it's the, the trouble is, the difficult part is not necessarily choosing which one to go after, but understanding the one you're going after and really being able to do it right. All of these platforms have a place. You know, TV has a place uh, depending on your products and your customer. I think TV is, you know, an important part of advertising. Uh, but it depends on the product. For one product, you may want to put all your spend, not all of it, but most of it towards, you know, TikTok. Whereas another product, uh, say like a, especially younger skewing products, I think TV is still the most important uh, channel for that. So it depends on products. And for a, a platform that you're going to go after, like TikTok, there's an element of just kind of knowing, like a feeling of whether or not it's working and whether or not it's right. One thing I thought was really very, very intriguing. And you said, I think, some of the effect of drilling down into one particular platform. And it seems to me, Chris, that in this time when there are so many alternatives, perhaps in try, instead of trying to be broad, it may be better to be focused. So, Alex, can you talk to us a little bit about that, about what do you think is the benefits and, and maybe the negative effects of focusing on a particular platform obviously with so many platforms that you could advertise on you can't do it you just you can't spread your resources that thin uh whether it's marketing budget or the content you know the content you're using on youtube and instagram and tiktok is all different content you can't you have to create content for every single platform and that's just it's not it's not realistic to have a presence a strong presence unless you're a really big brand it doesn't make sense to have a presence on every platform and you can't do it right if you're on every platform uh so I think it makes more sense to dial in on one platform and do it right and do it well and get in maybe a niche following on that platform than to spread your resources too thin. And you mentioned that you were a data nerd and this is one of my areas. <laughs> no, this is, this is when it comes to social media marketing, we are in a data driven environment and how do you know it's working? I mean, I, you, you mentioned, that there was a certain level of trusting your gut, which is classic toy industry, but that also meets contemporary measurement metrics that we have access to. So how do you know if something's working? Obviously with something like StickBot, it was the only platform you were using. So obviously if it, it worked that way. When you're choosing something like TikTok, how do you know it's working? I think when you first launch a brand on a platform, you're not gonna know. Uh, you, there's an element of just, you kind of just got to dive in. Uh, maybe, maybe from a gut instinct, you just have to go for it and you believe it's going to work. But when you're when your followers are so small, the sample size of the data you're getting is too small to know. If you have 10 followers and they're all engaged, that doesn't mean it's going to be a successful platform. <laughs> uh, so it, you, you kind of have to invest in it and scale it up and then you'll really know. Um, but if you do your homework before that, you'll have a pretty good idea of whether or not it's going to be a successful platform. Let's talk about the what you just said, which was doing your homework. So for someone who, say, has never engaged YouTube or has never engaged TikTok, what's the learning curve for, for doing this? I don't think it's too high. It's hard for me to say. You know, I, I've been on the Internet, you know, for 
as long as I can remember. I think one important thing for companies, when you're looking at these platforms, you have to go into it uh, and really dive in yourself. Um, you can't you can't say, okay, like, let's, let's look at this. Kids seem to like this. You know, you, right. you, can't run, you can't run a survey report that says kids 8 to 12 seem to really like TikTok. Let's go on TikTok. You have to really understand the platform yourself or whoever's managing your strategy. There's enough data and information on these platforms that can easily be manipulated, I guess you'd say. And I'll give you an example. So if you're advertising on YouTube, there's a couple different ad types you can use. Um, there's, well, there's lots, uh, but there's two primary ad types. Um, and one of the ad types, if you're running that, you'll get an impression count based on how many people saw your ad. That's great, right? People count impressions. Um, if you're using the other ad type, you'll also get impressions, but you'll find that one impression is not the same value as the other. And so you might have a campaign that has a million impressions and another campaign that has 50,000 50, impressions. Um, and depending on the ad type, that those 50,000 impressions might be way more valuable. But if you don't understand that platform and you don't understand how that works, uh, you'll look at it and say, great, let's go with this one because it makes a million impressions. Um, so you, you just see these numbers, but you don't really understand value of those numbers or how it translates to a customer actually engaging with that content or the ad. Does that make sense? I think one of the things that happens right now is people will call me up and say, oh, well, we got X hundred thousand million views on YouTube. <laughs> Or they'll tell me, this is my favorite one, our cost per acquisition was $11. And I said, great. Your product retails for nine ninety nine. dollars <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But we're in social media. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's, it's a little bit of an unknown out there, whereas the conventional belief is if I get a certain number of GRPs on TV and I do this, I can follow these, these formulas. It's not what I'm hearing you saying is it's not necessarily formulaic and every product and every campaign is different. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not something you can say, this is, this is how we're going to review this for every platform and it will make sense. It's, it's, so is it it's not more than science? Oh, it's, it's a marriage of the two. Yeah. I mean, toys, toys are inherently creative. Like you can't measure a kid's, the level of fun a kid has with a toy and the level of engagement they have with it. It's, you can see it, you can understand it, but it's one of those things that you can't measure with numbers, really. And we're going to take a break right there. We will be back to continue our conversation with Alex Tong of Van Gogh Toys. This is the Playground Podcast, and we'll be right back. This is PR Insights, and I'm talking with Lisa Orman, president of KidStuffPR.com, and we're talking about the classic value of public relations. PR really is more of an art than a science. It's primarily to build awareness. Luckily, when you're working with the right kinds of media and influencers and bloggers, it's relatively easy to do, and we have the tools to show our clients for getting the metrics that they need. And you can hear my entire conversation with Lisa on KidStuffPR.com. And we're back. This is the Playground Podcast. I'm Chris Byrne with my co-host, Richard Gottlieb, and we are continuing our conversation with Alex Tung of Van Gogh Toys. You were really successful at Zing. TickBot was hugely successful. You worked on other products there, really, really driving their marketing and driving them into a pretty major company in the industry. Why did you step away? And <laughs> what was it about the Upside Down Challenge, which is Van Gogh's first product, that said, oh, I'm going to go out, go out on my own because <laughs> not everyone has the uh, courage to do that. It's funny because... I think a lot of people were surprised uh, when I left because I really liked my, I loved my job there. I, I looked forward to going to work every single day. I liked everyone I worked with. 
Uh, it was a it was a fun company. So people were like, why are you leaving? Like how many people enjoy going to work every day? Even with, you know, an hour long commute to get there, it's, I still, I look forward to it every day. It was a hard decision. Ultimately, I just had a desire to build something of my own. It's hard to explain that feeling, but it was something where I, I wanted to be able to go after my ideas, run it my way. Um, and I, I, there was nothing wrong with the way Zing was running it. Uh, it was just something that I wanted to do for myself. And I felt that I could do successfully. And I thought I had ideas that maybe weren't being seen in the industry um, and strategies that were being not taken advantage of in the industry. So I thought I had an opportunity to go on my own, build something of my own and do it my own way. So how does that bring us to the upside down challenge? Believe it or not, when I left Zing, I didn't have the idea for the upside down challenge. I left and I said, I'm leaving and I'm going to have to figure this out. Uh, I didn't leave saying, I'm going to leave and do this toy idea because I know it's great. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I jumped off into the deep end, uh, left my job and had to figure it out. And luckily, my family, as soon as I left, they constantly are sending me, especially my dad, he's constantly sending me toy ideas. He's <laughs> uh, <laughs> also sending you money. <laughs> I, yeah, I wish. <laughs> Uh, luckily I had, I had made the decision before I left. So I had time to save cause I knew I would need capital to start a toy company. So I, I, I decided either I'm going to leave and start my own toy company or I'm going to buy a house. Um, and ultimately I decided, you know what, let's, let's do the company. Like if I wait a few more years, I'm probably not going to want to do it. Um, I might as well just go for it now. Uh, and I don't like, I'm not one to like wait around for a major decision because I think if you do that, you're not going to make the decision. There's going to be a million reasons why you shouldn't go start a toy company. Um, and, you know, even when I first left, I had people telling me like, oh, good luck. Like it's nearly impossible to make it in the toy industry. Getting your first product manufactured is going to be difficult, blah, blah, blah. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> but but I, knew, I, I knew I was going to figure it out and I just had to go for it. So I left and luckily my dad uh, sent me an, a video of a popular YouTube group playing with these medical goggles that flip your vision. And I saw that and I said, that's a genius idea for a toy. Um, so thank you, dad. We saw it and we instantly knew that it was gonna be a good toy. The product was fun, it looked funny. The act of watching the game was just as fun as it looked to be playing it. It was just one of those products that you see it and you instantly know this is gonna be a good product. So describe the product for us a little bit, because I've, I've played with it. It's a pair of goggles you put on and you see everything upside down. So once you do that and you haven't fallen over, what happens after you put on the goggles? You put on these goggles and they have uh, prisms in them, which flip your vision. So everything is flipped left and right. And you would think it would be as simple as just doing the opposite of what your brain is telling you to do. Uh, but it's not. So it makes it so that tasks like writing your name are nearly impossible. Because uh, you you want to move this way, but your brain won't let you. It'll only let you move this way, you know. So it's 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 sort of like a brain teaser that makes really simple tasks difficult. And turns out that's really funny to watch. <laughs> it's and it, it's it's gone viral on YouTube. You know, just the few videos we've had of influencers playing the game, or they have racked up millions of views. Uh, so it's it's one of those sort of viral social games um, that just promotes itself in a way. So Alex, I've played this game, and once you get the goggles on. You have different cards where you have to draw things and essentially people are watching you draw them. But I know that you're doing something pretty innovative with providing new cards for people for free if they buy it. You're not selling expansion packs. You're, you're going and saying, hey, we've already got you dizzy. We're now we're going to really <laughs> make your holidays. Talk a little bit about why you decided not to do an expansion pack, but instead are giving away 
the expansion packs for free. We've already seen this online with user-made videos. People have unlimited creativity. So people are coming up with their own challenges already. So we included a group of cards that were just blank cards for them to make their own challenges. Uh, but we didn't want to limit to that. We wanted to have challenges for birthday parties and for Halloween themed and holiday themed and this and that. Uh, so on our website, you can download all sorts of different challenge cards and also activities that are beyond just challenges. You know, there's activities where they can race each other to draw a maze or go through a maze or a racetrack or things like that. The goggles can be used for any sort any sort of daily activity, daily task that's simple, and it makes it fun. Um, in fact, we, you know, we will encourage kids to do other games as well. Uh, Alex, what is the age grade of the game? The age rating for the game is eight plus, but what we found is... Uh, when the vision flipped upside down, it's one of those games that's diff- just as difficult for adults as it is, as it is for kids. Uh, so a lot of games are easy or difficult for kids, but easy for adults. Uh, whereas with this game, it's difficult for everyone regardless of age, which makes it a really fun family game like game. I have one more question about TikTok. One of the things I'm always concerned about with social media is that these platforms are really designed for kids and and limited to kids ages 13 and up. Now, we know that younger kids are watching them, they're sharing the videos, but marketers can't really address kids under 13 with that. How do you maximize your exposure without violating the terms of service? It's something we've discussed ourselves. I think the best thing we can do as a company is make content that's uh, family-friendly, um, and keep in mind that they're, despite, you know, maybe our content is targeting young teens, uh, keep in mind that there will be a younger audience uh, and ensure that it, there is a level of safety. You know, make sure the comments are going to be safe. Watch that so there's no bullying. Make sure, just make sure it is a safe environment for kids, uh, even if it is supposed to be for a 13 plus platform. Um, so just doing everything we can to make sure it's uh, kid friendly. So is there any advantage to kids who learn to read upside down because they were sent to the uh, principal's office too many times? I don't know why that would come up, but uh, <laughs> is there any advantage there? Uh, believe it or not, um, there is. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the experiment that was the idea behind these goggles back in like the 60s. Again, I'm going to nerd out a little bit. Uh, so when light hits your eye, your eye is curved. Um, so it flips and it hits your retina upside down. Um, so the light that's hitting your retina is upside down. So your brain flips it. So everything you're seeing is actually the result of your brain having flipped the image that your eyes are getting. Um, and so there was an experiment. A guy wanted to show that your brain could adapt. So he wore upside down goggles day and night, never took them off um, for like 12, 14 days or something like that. And eventually he was able to function completely normally. Everything became normal for him. Is he out of the institution yet? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that would make me crazy. <laughs> really? <laughs> so he, he adapted normally. And it, it, the funny thing is they showed, you said, what's the benefit of it? Uh, it turns out teachers who read kids' assignments upside down, they've learned to read upside down. It's one of those things that your brain just adapts and learns to do. Uh, so if you played our game for days on end, eventually you'd just, it'd be like normal life. Where can somebody find your game? So it just hit shelves at Target. It's on Amazon and it's coming to a bunch of other mid-tier retailers this fall. And it's it's also available in, you know, 30 countries, I believe. Uh, it will be rolling out to 30 countries at least by the end of the year. Of all the years to choose to start a toy company. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Uh, oh, first we it. had tariffs. Then tariffs didn't happen, and then we had production, and now we've got COVID and coronavirus, and 
changing marketing and all sorts of things up in the air. How have you managed your way through this unprecedented time? Put the upside down, Glenn. <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, yeah, because you know, shortly after I left, um, the trade war started, and immediately I was like, "Oh boy, I, you know, this could really throw a wrench in my plans." So I had to, I had to adapt and figure out what are we going to do if this happens. Uh, so we started looking at, you know, Vietnam uh, as a place to manufacture, like everyone else in the industry, um, and that would that would have been difficult for us. That would have been uh, definitely. A barrier for us to manufacturing this product. Uh, luckily, that didn't that didn't happen. And then the global pandemic started, um, and so then it became an issue of all these retailers started saying we're going to delay our orders, or they'd say you know specialty shut down. You know, we actually we were planning to launch the upside down challenge game uh, in Canada and in the U.S. as specialty stores uh, in the spring to give them an early release uh, ahead of mass. And then as as the week we were planning to release the game as specialty. And the U.S. and Canada is when the lockdowns began, so that threw a wrench in our plans as well. Uh, so we've we've had to get over these barriers as we get ready for the launch. Um, and you know, thankfully, it's a game, and games are doing well. Had it been you know collectible pocket money item, we might be uh, having a different conversation here. But things worked out. We adapted. We we made plans in preparation for negative things happening, uh, and just did everything we could to make sure that we we mitigated any risks we had. I would like to point out that I think it was FAO Schwartz that started in 1861. And I'm thinking like, you go, ah, crap, the Civil War just started. (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally screwed. But of course, it worked out. So I think if people should not be afraid, if you got a great product, and if you got a head on your shoulders, anytime's the right time. You just have to be adaptable to the moment. Easy for me to say. But uh, I congratulate you on doing it, as I did FAO Schwartz. So what's next? Having got this up and running, are you actively looking for new products? Are you in development? Have we got more to look forward to from you? Yeah, we're in development. We have three new product lines that we're going to be pitching to retailers this fall uh, that we've been working on for several months now. It's the 20th century. You have to prepare ahead of time. Uh, we can't we can't wait for this product to do well. We have to take jump in just as we did with this game with those other new products we're developing. But I, th- I think they're pretty good, and I think they'll be received as well as uh, the game has. It really does seem to me like you are, even though you're very young, you are very old school in terms of how the toy industry was traditionally. Certainly in the immediate years after World War II, people were just throwing stuff at the wall and trying to see what was going to appeal to kids, even as the culture was changing. And I think that we've lost something in the industry, not being as nimble and not being as like, let's go for it. Yeah, exactly. A lot of these larger toy companies are because of the risks and uncertainties right now, they're not innovating. They're not putting as much effort into product development or new companies. So that's where we have an opportunity. Like Richard said, if we can get through this, we'll be good. <laughs> you know, this is this is the hardest time to be starting a, a brand new company. Access to capital is more difficult. Retailers have this uncertainty; they're less ordering less. It's so if we can get through this, which is a huge reason for a lot of people not to be investing in developing new products. Um, we can take advantage of that and develop new products and uh, grow the company. Well, somehow I think you will get through this, and let's all remember that the Japanese word for entrepreneur means jumping into the ocean. I think uh, the ocean is pretty rough right now. 
Uh, but yeah, you seem to be swimming pretty good. And you've kicked your way to the surface. <laughs> oh, to hyperextend the <laughs> metaphor. Well, Alex Tong, CEO of Van Gogh Toys and promoter, inventor, bringer to marketer of uh, this amazing game called the Upside Down Challenge. Thank you for joining us. And of course, we're going to be watching to see all the success that you're going to be generating in this season and in seasons ahead. And now we come to the part of the show that we like to call the end cap, where Richard and I toss about some ideas that are going on in the industry. And we are recording this on September 18th, Friday. And that's significant because as of this Sunday, TikTok, the entertainment platform, number one in entertainment in the App Store, is not going to be available through the App Store. And there's so much unknown about this right now. We don't know who's going to buy it. We don't know if people are going to use it. We know that it's a little bit of retaliation against the platform that teens use to sort of scuttle one of Trump's rallies. But Richard, what do you think about this? TikTok's really emerged as a big player for toys. What do you think this is going to mean for us? There's two companies uh, that are being affected by this. One is TikTok and the other one is WeChat. And we'll go into both those things. But they're, these are huge uh, Chinese-based companies. And uh, the uh, current administration has been very upset with both these companies because they see this as a means for China to eavesdrop on Americans. And so this is the the reason that uh, the United States government mandated that you cannot download either of these uh, two applications effective, I think you said, on Sunday. Right. So let's take them one at a time, uh, Chris. Uh, TikTok is the world's largest amateur kitty and dancing <laughs> channel in the world. I mean, it's... Or as we call it, video sharing. <laughs> it's, it's short form videos in which amateurs sing and dance and show cat videos and other things. And for whatever reason, it is extraordinarily uh, popular globally and in the United States, particularly among teens. What this means is that it's part of a campaign by the government to get the Chinese owners of TikTok to divest their ownership. And, uh, and as it appears right now, uh, Oracle will be taking over TikTok, at least in a minority status. Yeah, they're and- not going to take it over. They're going to be... The, the language they're using is they're going to be an American partner. And at issue is who is going to own the algorithm that China uses. And that's the, that's the big deal because that's how they can collect the information. Correct. Correct. Now, what I, I, the interesting aspect to, to, I think, those of us in the toy industry here is that good old all-American Walmart wants to a piece of the action and wants to also be an owner of TikTok. And the reason for that is that although in the United States, TikTok serves as a, an advertising platform for lots and lots of companies, and that's where their revenue comes from. In China, they actually use TikTok as a means of selling products that are shown in videos. And Walmart wants a piece of that action here in the States. And so if Walmart was to take some control of this company, it would give them a a really strong hand in terms of disseminating their products. It's a big issue because for the toy industry, reaching their target audiences has been a real challenge. Now, they have to say we're reaching moms because TikTok, like all these platforms, is restricted to kids 13 and up. But I do think it's been very useful for toy companies to leverage influence 
influencers and try to at least build awareness for some of their products. And they are looking at new ways in which to leverage that directly into sales. And I think we're going to see that coming very quickly. And I think that's something that Walmart, of course, wants to be involved in. Yeah, and you've got to really hand it to Walmart. They have consistently, when it comes to technology and marketing and branding, et cetera, have really been ahead of the curve. And, and once again, they're right out there. Uh, so this has been a contentious issue. Uh, and another contentious issue is uh, WeChat. Right. Which is a basically a way to make phone calls uh, for free. Extremely popular in Asia, huge. And virtually everyone, we in the toy industry know who works in Asia uses WeChat as their communication tool. So the banning of this particular application could create some complexities for communication. I I agree. And I think that it's for people who don't know WeChat, who may not be uh, going to Asia, it's, it's very similar to WhatsApp. You can make voice over IP calls, you can text, you can send photos. It's, it's actually a fairly versatile platform. And of course, when we're over there, Everybody wants to communicate with you via WeChat. It's so much easier than it is to to call. Right. <laughs> that you are calling. You're calling a phone number just like you would in, in WhatsApp. But, you know, Chris, as with anything where a government is involved, what's not clear in this new mandate is, yes, uh, you will not be able to download the app as of Sunday, but that raises the question with those of us who have the app, be able to continue to, to use it. Will it work? Uh, And that does not seem to be clear. If as of Sunday, it's no longer in the app store, you're not going to be able to download any upgrade. The challenge is going to be that as of Sunday, if you have TikTok on your phone, that's the version you're going to use until this gets resolved. You can't have an upgrade. You can't have more features. I don't know what it accomplishes because there's still the same algorithm. There's pushing content to you. There's still the same data collection, though TikTok has been adamant about saying that all U.S. information is stored on U.S. servers, which of course makes sense. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with this. But we do know that TikTok is probably not going to go away. And all those all those young people and families who use it, they vote. (laughs) Well, I'd like to add there's one other uh, fly in the ointment here is if uh, it does go through, and Oracle, as an example, and Walmart get uh, at least some degree of control, uh, it's up to the Chinese government to approve the sale, right. uh, as, up, as it's up to the U.S. government. So uh, it looks like it's good to go as far as the U.S. is concerned. We just don't know uh, how China's going to react. So this is um, an ongoing story. It's a complicated story. And it's a little bit about what happens when the government gets involved with free trade and commerce. I totally agree. We play fast and loose sometimes with predictions, but I can't imagine that the Chinese government would approve a Chinese company giving up their technology that they've developed. And this is part of the whole new world of the global economy. And As we keep saying every week, we're just going to have to see what happens with it. As always, I love talking about these issues with you. We hope you enjoy listening to them. This is the Playground Podcast. We look forward to hearing from you. We are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, Kid Stuff Public Relations, and The Toy Guy. And we hope you'll tune in for our next episode.